Are we on air? This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Oh, they're on, they're on. Um, hello, I'm Eugene McFadden, in the slot they've given me, and this is pretty much going to be amateur hour, uh, which it usually is. Uh, you may as well roll a dice and see if we can make the jingles and stuff work. I think I'll pick that this time, but probably not, poor Tom. Um, yeah, maybe not roll a dice, because, yeah, well, community, but anyway. Um, so today, we're going to be discussing eating disorders. This well, is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Do I turn it off now? Oh, I'm going to turn the jingle off. It's annoying me. Okay, so um, where was I? Right. My name is Eugene McFadden, and um, from year 10 to 11, I had an eating disorder. Actually, realistically, that frame of reference is too narrow. I probably had an eating disorder beforehand in that our relationship with food was not healthy. And then when I got through my anorexia phase, I bounced towards bigorexia. And then the whole thing has been at the back of my mind since kind of like a caged tiger that occasionally rattles its cages. Um, so today we're going to be discussing eating disorders. Um, we'll start by discussing those and then we'll probably move on to Tom Hardy again because, you know, Tom Hardy's amazing. Um, I think he's been in Newcastle recently or someplace uh, or other things. Uh, and as ever, Heather Great Batch and uh, G are going to join me and help me to keep me either A, on track or B, off on really random tangents um and invite was invited to oh, how do i let heather come in oh heather did that thing again i was reading off my script and i completely missed you turning up to invite um oh well. so i don't think we actually talk enough about male eating disorders uh, i think that's changing as things go on but i do think that well i don't think we're there just yet I think it's probably a rise in these things. No doubt exacerbated by superhero movies and biking ones. I don't know, Skarsgård, I'm looking at you and your abs. They're pretty damn good abs. At 45 as well. I mean, that's pretty impressive at 45. Um, again, unhealthy and unrealistic. So anyway, on track. Today's questions, are eating disorders on the rise in general? Or are just males on the rise? Or has it always been there? And we're not now talking about it more. And is there a crossover between being neurologically untypical and having an eating disorder? Um, so I guess there's probably to be some kind of trigger warnings on this. Um, I didn't used to believe in trigger warnings. And then I read a book uh, that triggered me, which was actually a fantasy book. Um, That's a completely random thing. Joe, Joe Abercrombie, though, really good author. I do recommend him. So if Heather and Georgia want to join in or try and attach or oh, there we go invite and i sent one invite has that worked i don't know georgia speaker now oh there we oh. go hello hello there we go uh heather try your one again because i didn't manage to click it uh invite a speaker oh there we go that's how you do it i uh, see amateur hour 
Hello, Heather, you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Hello. Excellent. Yep. Amateur hour as ever for, well, me. Um, so normally we don't kind of like plans beforehand, but I felt it would be good um, to plan this conversation a bit, a bit beforehand. which is that I had, I have, I had, I had an eating disorder. I definitely had an eating disorder from year 10 to year 11. Um, and then it's developed and changed and been other things over the course of my life. And it's kind of mostly under control now. Um, so, and I actually, um, do we want to discuss a relationship with food? Will that be helpful? Or how do we want to do this? Georgia. Um, yeah, let's let's do that. Let's discuss food in general. Um, yeah. My relationship with food has been a very change in fluid one over the years. Um, it, obviously, I was late diagnosed in terms of being autistic. Um, but one of the things that they um, hit upon immediately was my early years and the relationship I had with food, which was very, very restrictive. Um, as a, as a child, it was very, very restrictive. Um, I went through a phase where I wouldn't eat anything apart from alphabets and then wouldn't eat alphabets unless they spe spelled my name. Um, that's a bit autistic. Yeah. Yeah. It made, it made complete sense really looking back, <laughs> um, uh, which, which led to my mom, bless her, having to cook all of the alphabets and then cut them into shapes so that they looked like my name or then tell me that I had numerous other middle names, um, that were made up of the, of the alphabets that were left over, which, which worked. That was fine. I was okay with that. That was the rule. But, other than that, things like um, like quite nutritious foods, like vegetables and things like that, I just couldn't I couldn't eat them. Um, and it wasn't because I didn't like them. I actually quite liked the taste. It was um, the texture of everything. Everything, the texture of every food I ate was wrong and different. And I didn't like the fact that you could get a carrot and a carrot would, the texture of it would be completely different depending on where you went and what you were eating it in. And that stopped me from trying or eating an awful lot of foods. Um, and it meant that I missed out on an awful lot and that I was very slight as, as a kid. Um, not that I un was underfed, it was just I wouldn't eat. And my mum had to kind of like work around it by, this sounds awful, but liquidizing a lot of stuff and um, and things like that right up until I was about, five or six and then I started to eat a little bit more a little bit of a wider um diet now they, that really should have set alarm bells off really um and made it made a lot of sense much later when I was around about the same age as you and I developed anorexia and that was around about the exam period again um much like yourself and it was it was restrictive it was immediately restrictive and i felt 
what now I recognise as being an untold amount of joy in um, in counting and in restricting and in um, having control over that. It's it's um, and I think I think that's really what it is. It's control. Yeah, I'd agree. Over time, that has. I mean, I think, like you said, you say that it's largely under control. I got it under control for quite a quite a long time, a few years, and recovered, and things were fine. But then had an adult um, relapse, and that adult relapse was um, was probably low, not um in terms of weight not worse but probably the worst one because that one instead of giving me the comfort and the joy of the of the control I actually felt completely out of control at that point and it was frightening and at, at this point it's a case of it's always like you say it's a caged tiger isn't it it's always there in the back of my head mm. threatening or or not even threatening just kind of going ah you see that you know what the what calories are in that or ah do you see that if you eat 10 of those and it's just it it it's unreasonable but it's there yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah i mean yeah a lot of what you're saying is like kind of resonating um especially that restricted food as a child um heather you also went through a restricted like diet like in terms of like texture than you yeah i'd say for me it's less um less a case of texture as i've got a definite aversion to like um bitter tastes um so i mean for the whole of my childhood i didn't eat any green vegetables i've learned to love them now um but I've ne- it's like I've never tried coffee because the smell of it is bitter and horrible. And I've just convinced myself that I wouldn't like it. And I know that half the world loves coffee, but yeah, it's, it's more of a taste, more of a taste thing, I would say. Um, but yeah, certainly when I was a toddler, you know, there's lots of family jokes about me. If I didn't like something, I would, I would put it on the end of my tongue so that my mum had to scrape it off. That was my way of saying, no, no, thanks. Um, and yeah, there was just a, a really limited amount of things I would eat, and I'm very much um, seeing a similar sort of thing with with my uh, my own two children now. And in a way, I think it makes it it makes it a lot easier because I've got that. It's not a certainty, but I feel reassured by the knowledge that um, it won't last forever. You know, the restricted choices mm. won't last forever, and it will evolve over time. And um, yeah, when you were saying, um, Georgia, about things being liquidized, that that wasn't me, but I'm really interested in the whole kind of world of parenting advice. Like, you know, when the kids were tiny, I was addicted to mum's net and there was all of these debates about baby led weaning and there was low, you know, there's really common, such a common thing for mums to be like really panicking that their child won't start solid food or that they will only have milk until they're like two or something. And, um, you know, I, I think it's not a case of normalising it, but just recognising that this is, for a large number of children, that, that that is their development. Their relationship with food develops in that way that is different from the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it, it can get 
it can get very serious if, if a child isn't thriving or put, putting on weight but it, it's interesting from a from a generational point of view as well because I think you know m- my parents generation were very much of the feed up your children sort of thing and yeah no, make me sure too. they get as much as as much as possible um and there's that whole anxiety around you know are they eating enough um and you know when when my well, my daughter in particular when she was when she was little she was noticeably you know from a baby onwards she was noticeably like you know slimmer than other kids uh, and she still is but she's she's growing and she's got energy and you know it's like yeah i i'm, I'm interested in that whole sort of developmental aspect to you know to sort of autistic children's eating um and yeah i'd say it was my teenage years when i pro- well probably late teens that i started to branch out a bit more and to try different things um like cheese i didn't try until i was like 18 i think or something like that oh i was but, yeah no, i'm the same but yeah, you've got these kind of you're battling these sort of irrational beliefs like that all cheese is going to be really strong because some cheese is like strong and smelly you can't even bring yourself to, to try even the mild cheddar and no matter how much someone tells you that this is mild and it's not smelly and it's not strong you can't get over that and it's like red peppers because I was associated red peppers with chilies I convinced myself that red peppers were spicy I know now that they're not but again it's irrational someone telling you that they're not spicy you've still got that connection in your mind that you can't get over um yeah so it's it's complicated isn't it oh yeah so complicated <coughs> excuse me i mean i'm i'm coming from the hypersensitive bit whereby i actively now seek out strong tastes because i can actually mm. taste them um yeah. but as a child i didn't know i, I had a weak sense of taste because it just i did not compare it to any anything um but i do remember my mum getting really upset and my mom's quite anxious anyway my mom getting really upset and really anxious that I wasn't eating um and I think that kind of led with some other cultural thing to me overeating to all and mm-hmm. you know and it was the same thing every night chicken and potatoes raw potatoes and uh, some onions uh, apart from on a Friday it was fish and chips um but yeah I had the same thing about it I had the same meal every single every single night actually um and then for, for pack lunch, I'd have toast, which oh, again, on toast. Yes. Yes. I had, like... some, um, I had loads of weirdly, despite everything that I said before, I, I did have when I decided that I liked something, that was that I was I was sold on it, and mm. that was just all that there was. Um, I, I'm, I, I distinctly remember being um, opening my pack lunch one day in primary school, and having six um kiwi fruits in there because i decided that i really liked kiwi fruits and it wasn't enough to have one i needed the entire packet mm-hmm. um and Perfect. so every, everyone else had sandwiches and things like that and i had a pack an entire pack of kiwi fruits because that was at the time what i was eating um yeah and i just i just think looking back at it bless her my mum did incredibly well and, and like you say about the whole development thing, um, I, through, I suppose the way she would phrase it is through hookah by crook, 
was filled with nutrients and things like that. But it was in the case of look at the texture of this one and look at the colour of this one and things like that. I think when it comes to developmental parts before like moving into the later stages, I hate it when um when I hear other people do this as well, when it's a case of try it, you don't know because you haven't you <laughs> you haven't tried it. And I don't know how to explain to people that it doesn't matter that I no. haven't tried it. I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it doesn't matter if I'm wrong about the taste or anything like that. I know I can I can smell it and I can see it mm. and it's moving in a certain way. I can't eat it. And it, it's not it's not just a case of I've decided that I can't. Mm. Yeah. I I very much had a sort of um bit of a light bulb moment with my with my daughter because I, I, I can't remember now when I realised I was autistic but it was definitely after she was born so if we're talking about when she was two I probably didn't know then so I still had a bit of a generational hangover of some of these beliefs about you know being anxious about your child not eating enough um, and you know you try various things and we watched do you remember Mr Bloom on CBeebies he had, oh, his, yeah. he had his garden of veggies um and we'd watched Mr Bloom and she was two and she loved it and we talked about different veggies and I was like you know I really like veggies that are not cooked you know do you want to try some and she was really up for it and we had you know when we chopped some carrots and some cucumber and she was like you know all up for it and then <coughs> excuse me just as she came to take a bite just this look of absolute panic came over her face and it was you know it was like she just can't do it I realised then that she couldn't and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a behavioural thing. It wasn't her being awkward or stubborn or refusing. It's, she physically couldn't do it. Um, and I think that was a bit of a bit of a turning point. And also, um, the, the tricky thing often is the overlap between um, food aversions and sort of medical treatment and refusing, yes. refusing medicines. So that that's when it for me it has been really difficult and when she was about 18 months or something she had a raging fever of like 40 or 41 or something and it was just an ear infection we didn't I didn't know at the time but you know you take her to the doctors it's like has she had calpol it's like no well no she won't have it <laughs> she won't have calpol and um and I'll never forgive this horrible nurse practitioner for basically trying to force feed her calpol and her vomiting straight away and I think that that kind of trauma probably didn't help her food journey after that um no. and yeah it's awful awful to, to, to look back now um and she still struggles with with some with medicine to some extent um I, and i did it, as well you know i, I yeah, remember so my I. Mom, mm -hmm. I remember the horrible banana flavor I'm oh i was about to say that that stuff oh, yeah. was just, oh, <laughs> yeah. it was yeah so horrible i assumed i, I assumed that my son had the um who is also autistic um i assumed that he had the same sort of aversions and when he started vomiting um with the banana penicillin i went okay right okay well maybe we'll have to you know get some something different either get the plain stuff or you know do whatever we need to and unfortunately i'd, I'd missed missed it completely and what was actually happening was that he was covered in rash and he was actually allergic to penicillin 
Um, but here's me immediately going, oh, we'll go and get him some more. We'll get yeah. him something different because it just, yeah. instead of going, oh, God, he hates it because it tastes horrible. My initial thing was, you can't, you just can't have that. That's not right. And I think over time, watching him and watching his development, um, he initially, and I don't know what you guys have, ex your experience was, but initially he was really open to all tastes and flavors and textures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we did baby led weaning um, mm -hmm. and he was fine. And that was no problem. Um, it, incidentally, despite the fact that it was not the, the done thing at the time, my mom did baby led weaning with me. Um, and it's again, exactly the same journey. Um, I was fine and I would eat anything and everything until about 18 months and the mm -hmm. same happened to him. And then it was no, and everything wasn't right. Um, and he gradually restricted and restricted and restricted until it got to the point where, um, until it got to the point where he was just, he was very, very much um, a beige either. Oh, yeah. If it was, if it was beige, it was safe. Um, not, un not unusual at all, is it? You know, no, no. And, and it's really, it is, it's, it's not just, a, um, I don't think it's an autistic thing. I think that is just a, a kid's mm. thing generally. Yeah. Um, but the, the safety thing never quite, it, the, the, the brakes never came off, so to speak. Um, yeah. with, with my, my youngest son, who's neurotypical, he started to branch out again and started to try different things. If you say to him, why don't you try it? And then you know if you don't like it, he will go, yeah, that's fine. That's reasonable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know what it tastes like. Whereas Harrison will, will straight away go, no, I know exactly what that's like. I can see it. And, and I have different responses to that. So if, if my smallest would say that to me, I'd be like, well, you don't know, do you? But if, if, if Harrison did, I'd be like, yeah, I know you do. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Because I know that what he means by I do know is that it wouldn't matter if it had the best taste in the world. The rest of the experience is wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that that's too much. No. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's um, a really interesting place to take this. Unfortunately, not unfortunately, thankfully, I have managed to actually make the news work this time. Theoretically, I say that. I say <laughs> that. So I'm, I'm, to be, I'm in a press news button like 10 minutes ago, but I just didn't because it was too interesting. I'm now going to try and press the news button and we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, so hold that thought because I meant to do this and let's see. Nope, that's still the um, the other thing. How about now? There we go. I've done it. So we've got a few minutes now. Have a cup of tea. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. 
a world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 £60 in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. than 85% of Scots back a ban on smoking outside schools in a bid to protect children's health, a survey has found. The Glasgow Times reports on the results of a survey by charity Asthma and Love UK. The Scotland survey asked 1,000 adults in Scotland with almost 9 in 10 wanting smoking prohibited outside of the school gates. The charity is pressing the Scottish Government to follow the example set by Wales in March 2021 forbid smoking around playgrounds, schools and other locations used for children. The Scottish Government spokesman said they would consider proposals and agreed with findings that second-hand smoke was more dangerous to children. A number of MSPs have come out in favour of a ban on smoking near places used by children. Noise pollution near schools could be helpful to people's concentration and working memory according to new research. A study completed in Barcelona over 15 months between 2012 and 2013 appears to conclude that exposure to road noise at school was associated with slower development of working memory and attentiveness in pupils. The Evening Standard reports on the findings and suggests that environmental noise policies be put in place to protect schools from noise pollution. Professor Trevor Cox of the Science and Media Centre said that the fact that road traffic noise harms health and well-being is not talked about often enough. In Northern Ireland, people from Buckland Primary School received some royal messages as part of the celebration for the Jubilee. Dame Judy Dent appears on a video posted on the school website, whilst Sir David Jason sent a letter which was read out on the same video. In Dubai, Gems Education has launched a new scholarship programme in celebration of Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee. 
a total of 70 scholarships will be awarded to each covering the full cost of a year's tuition fee to students across 43 general schools. GEMS Education is the UAE's oldest and largest school operator. New Post Brexit Visa Scheme launched this week to protect the best graduates from the top 50 non-British universities like to live in the UK has been criticised for not including those from African or Caribbean countries. The most recent list of eligible universities is from 2021. The ranking system used to define which is a top university includes the number of alumni who are Nobel laureates. Critics say this ignores the qualities and skills of graduates from nations within Africa. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about spreadsheet modelling. Spreadsheets are marmite. You either love them or you hate them. This week, I hope to help you see a reason to include them in your next lesson or even to spice up a form time. What is technology? It's anything that helps us in life. For example, scissors, cutlery, even a paper straw. Let's take a look at the good old paper straw. Build as an environmental hero. It's time for the spreadsheet to model some facts about paper straws. Before I begin, I totally get the paper straws are better for the environment than plastic. This episode's about looking deeper into topics at pace, using the all-powerful spreadsheet to provide high-speed and sometimes complex calculations. With a trusty search engine by my side, here I go into what is the true cost of a paper straw. Okay, the first answer to produce a paper straw costs a penny. Now how about how many paper straws are used in a year? The US use 5 million per day. Europe, a mere 7 million per day. How many trees is that? Right, a typical straw weighs 1.1 grams. So times 7 million is 7,700,000 grams divided by 1,000 is 7,700 kilograms divided by 1,000 again is 7.7 tons. Back to the search engine, it takes 24 trees to make one ton of paper, so 185 trees rounded to the nearest tree. It takes eight trees to provide enough oxygen for one person for a year. So each day we kill enough trees to keep 23 people alive for a year for the sake of a paper straw. Let's take a quick step back. 185 trees per day times 365 days is 67,452 trees per year. That can keep 8,431 people alive. In a densely packed forest, that's around one kilometre square of trees. It takes, on average, 15 years for a tree to grow to be used for paper. People of Europe are spending 27,830,000 per year on paper straws. That's £76,246 a day. If you listen to this on Friday, since Monday, 925 trees have been used for a one-use purpose. Now, with the power of the mighty spreadsheet and a few questions, I'll be leaving that straw behind and drinking from the cup. Do you want to add to my argument or even challenge it? Want to get in touch on the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Ah, well, there we go. That was the news. Um, Well, that was... That was... So if you've joined us after the news and all those numbers, um, we currently have in the studio, uh, randomly, the King of Taiwan, apparently, or something. Um, what do you say? Yep, King of Taiwan is in here. Um, I'm with Georgia uh, and Heather, who we've been discussing uh, eating disorders um, and being neurodiverse. We've covered um, 
we've covered the idea of like restricted eating in terms of texture or taste. Um, and we've covered what it's like to have a relationship with food if you're neurodiverse. We're now going to move on to thinking about why eating disorders happen. Um, in my case, it really was, it was a few things. It was one from a young age being told, like culturally, you've got to be a big person. And then pretty much from year seven, it was because I was deeply unhappy and I just ate loads of food. Uh, and then everyone kept calling me a fat bastard. Um, so I ate more food. That showed me. And then I got a really clear image of me uh, during my confirmation. And I was about five foot six and about 15 and a half stone, roughly. Um, and it suddenly kind of went to my head that I was actually quite fat. Um, because I don't realize what my body looks like. I just don't. Or where I am in space either. Which means I walk into door frames an awful lot. Like I have very little integration between my me and my body sometimes. Um, which is why I like martial arts. Because then I can actually just be in my body. Anyway. So between that picture during it, towards the end of year nine. And kind of realizing I was fat. Um and year 11, I managed to lose uh, five and a half stone, uh, which I did through the power of just not eating uh, very much at all. Um, and I got a picture, I was looking at it in Ireland just now of me um, looking just incredibly skinny. Um, I didn't really have a problem. I saw my mate, Bo, who had lots of problems himself. He turned around to me and said, dude, you've lost too much weight. And this is a time when I was still like, re I was actually really quite skinny. And because I was at boys' school, I was still being called a fat bastard because I was at a boys' school. And that's what happened. So that's what kind of led me to my first bout of anorexia there. Okay. Um, so, Georgia, how is it for you? Or how did it start for you? It's really strange because I remember it very, very well too. Um, um, I think it was a bit of a perfect storm in the sense that I was, um, I was a big kid and I don't mean that in the sense of um, weight because I really wasn't. I was a tall kid um, and so I stood out like a sore thumb because I've been, I've been around about my height give or take one or two inches since I was 11 um, and it, because everyone in my family seemed to be very tall as well it looked like I was going to be a very very tall person but then just stopped so I've, I've been adult height since since I was in year seven so I was taller than a lot of other people um, at the time and I was like in adult kind of proportions so I wasn't uh, I wasn't overweight i was just adult sized um and so that made me stand out and of course standing out really isn't fun when you're a teenager and yeah. um <clears throat> and then gradually that that eased off over time because obviously everybody else caught up but i remember being around about 14 and thinking i'm a bit bigger than everyone else at the minute uh, and kind of looking around going hang on okay all right that's fine 
but not really thinking anything more than that and then having a couple of girls say things um so some mean names some um comments about the size of my legs or things like that which in hindsight looking back and looking at photos and looking at things like that i, I realize now contextually it was because they they were trying to hurt me it was nothing to do with how i looked it was just bullying for the sake of bullying um and my reaction to that was well i can do something about that and stop that happening mm. and, and and it was very almost pragmatic it was a right okay i will stop them and in order to stop i will just stop eating as much because that was that was the the idea and again it 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 just went from there and i had to be told over and over and over again by various people and get help um about the fact that I'd, I'd lost too much and that it was it was dangerous but um i couldn't say it much like yourself i, I just i could not see yeah. any difference yeah so no, the, me for neither. me there was and even now i can look at myself in the mirror and i can be at my my heaviest or my lightest and i see no difference when i look in the mirror there's no difference there for me um it's the same it's always the same mm. um and that's not a negative i don't look at what i say and think that's horrible it's I, I don't particularly have a view on it it's just i don't see any difference and so i have to rely an awful lot on other people and and their um their kind of reaction to to gauge whether or not oh, hang on have i have i lost too much or have i have i gained some and and honestly the, the only way that in adulthood that i've been able to um kind of like steady the ship is through my clothes and, yeah. and now judging it purely on do my clothes fit if so excellent if not how do i approach this and that that you don't have those skills when you're 14 15 and that that was basically how it went into it i, I find it interesting how both of us what what really triggered there um the initial startup of it was the comments of others yeah just that 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 drip feed of like mm -hmm. that, that that water torture on your soul you know mm -hmm. um yeah kids are cruel um i think maybe kids are kinder now maybe i'm just being like i make maybe not noticing i don't know um I... Heather, go on. Go on. No, go on. It's, it's like really interesting you're saying about, um, for both of you, it was year 10, because I feel like I'm pretty sure that in year 10, I kind of came close to sort of, you know, disorders you're saying, but I, I, I didn't develop it fully. But like, I would, I would skip lunch, definitely. Um, I never had any comments about, about being big, although interestingly i was tall um i am six foot now and so i was always taller than everyone else so th there was definitely that thing of standing out and i mean if, if i got comments it was more to do with being really skinny um which i was kind of naturally um but i definitely remember definitely remember skipping lunch at school and 
I definitely remember, you know, like models on the catwalk. There was definitely an influence of that in magazines. And like, I remember looking at a photo of a model with like those really sticky out clavicles and thinking, oh, mm. my bones don't do that. I, I, I wish mine did that. That looks really good. So I feel like, I, you know, I, I, I came close, I never developed it full time. And I, I've always kind of, ever since adolescence, I've always, I've always been very resistant to any idea of a diet because I've, I've always had this feeling like if I did go go on a diet it would be a slippery slope to something unhealthy so I've always been absolutely opposed to it um so yeah um but yeah teenagers are just so horrible <laughs> just awfully cruel um, that, that lack of empathy yeah, um. yeah indeed <laughs> I think um I think it's it's interesting and I think it's something that we need to examine a little bit um is that we're we are all talking about a very similar time frame yes. and the that we're talking around about the same age and in the same era mm-hmm. and I, I think at the time uh, weirdly um I recently took part in a in a study uh, about body image in um a particular age group of, of mainly women in their um in their thirties, and looking at our relationships with our bodies, and um, self image and body image and beliefs and, and what influenced that, mm. and one of the things that I picked up on was not, it, I mean yeah obviously the thing that triggered me in, in the first place was the co- with the comments of others, but thinking about what I internalized at the time things like heat magazine um and the constant thing in heat magazine was um the bikini bodies and looking at who was hot and who was not and putting them side by side of who had the worst and the best bodies for the beach and um things like uh the the demonization of Jerry Halliwell as being fat and looking back at it and going, where, where, where was that? Where was the fat? Show me, because it's not there. Um, and so, speaking of Jerry Hanwell, because I've got an anecdote right there. Yes, One of the people that my PGCE with, like, was working as a in a hotel, and like would bring Jerry Hanwell her food for the day in the hotel, and she was like, it was literally a cup of lemon, like 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 warm lemon was her breakfast. And all she'd have, and then she might have a very, very small salad at, at like dinner time. That was it. That's like, awful. That is, yeah. you know. Um, it's so sad. Yeah. And, you know. and I think I think looking at that and thinking about an entire generation of, of, of particularly, and which is lead me back to you, but particularly thinking about this, this entire generation of women who, on one hand, we had our mothers primarily who were very much um the the weight watchers kind of like mm. oh that's and and have even the language of it that this food is good and oh that's a bit naughty that's been passed down and you can i think if you go into any staff room in in the uk you will see a bunch of women who will refuse a biscuit or will refuse a piece of cake because i'm being good Yes, or will, that or will then have them and say, oh, 
it's all right to be a little bit naughty every now and again and even the language is is it's passed down and we inherited it and it, it's I just remember that it's there we're working with someone and she, she'd always have half of something if she wanted to eat something she'd like offer half of it to someone else like don't want half a banana or half a piece of cake because she'd feel too guilty about eating a whole banana it's it, it's that idea of um this idea of, of of guilt and and fear that's related to food isn't it and i think it, it when you do work in a place that, that naturally a lot of us do where there's an awful lot of people you see it a lot and if you're looking for it you see it a lot and i find it really strange how it's it's almost as if it was inherited and then society kind of like built it up a little bit more um oh, through, yeah. through through the images that we were fed and wh when you said about um like at the time that i mean the early 90s we had the um the heroin chic kind of thing going on oh yeah yeah and i, I think even down to if you if you go and stick on something like um uh, like uh what was it that i was watching a few weeks ago top of the pops 97 um and i was watching everyone and in the back of my head i was thinking oh my god these people look so ill because literally everyone was stick thin and um like uncomfortably so it was very it was well, look, amy, amy winehouse yeah yeah yes and, and that was the noughties and it, it's I, I do feel like i mean obviously we we can't get a full grasp of this because we aren't living in it it's not our experience but despite the fact that we all know the dangers of social media when it comes to body image and it comes to um, things like that, I think a lot of it is down to facial, like how we look, filters, um, mm. you know, like whether or not it's reality or not, um, makeup and things like that. I think generally I haven't heard even an off the, cat, off the cuff remark about body in a long time. And it does seem to be that younger people than me definitely um and i'm not just talking about children here but younger people than me seem to have a much healthier kind of relationship with their body even if it's not a healthy relationship with food yeah my um my daughter's 10 she's already very aware that society has unrealistic standards you know for bodies and it's ridiculous and you know whenever we've talked about it i've always been like yeah well your body's your body you know it does it does things i wanted to have this idea that the body body does things it's not a, it's not a coat hanger yeah it's yeah. not about what it looks like and it's so weird when because when, i was ridiculously tall and skinny as a teenager and, and I, on the one hand it was sometimes it was sometimes validated it was sometimes seen as a good thing like um i went to the clothes show live and i kind of this model agency like gave me their number and I was all excited about this and nothing ever came of it. But most of the time I would either get comments about looking freakish or I would get comments from old ladies about you need to have a decent meal. <laughs> so even though, you know, in the newspapers and in, in the media, this idea of skinniness being really thin was like, you know, it was the thing. It, I feel like in, in reality, I felt I did feel quite self-conscious about it. Really, it's like 
in the grunge era when everyone was wearing para boots, I felt like I would look like a golf club wearing them, so I never did. Um, and yeah, people used to call me pencil legs and things like that. And it's so weird because, yeah, like I said, it's, it's a mismatch between the media and then actual reality. It's like I never got anyone saying like, oh, I wish I looked like you or anything. It's just, you know, it's, I suppose it's the being different thing, isn't it? Yeah. I think I think I've, I've become more aware of like from my own experience but I've, I've noticed there's definitely an increase in in boys like having a bad relationship with food and their bodies um which I have noticed and I think a lot of it actually is down to that whereas previously the image for a man was it wasn't about the body so much I think it is more now um especially superhero films which I love superhero films, but undeniably there's been a journey in terms of like that superhero physique and a superhero training yeah. plan and all that kind of pressure. And, you know, I, I hear like as I go around the playground or whatever, I hear kids talking about, you know, getting the beach, getting beach scored, using going to the gym, and just boys being beach scored and going to the gym and using that language. Um, and you even, even look at like the most recent trailer, which is for Thor. Uh, Love and Thunder, and there's a bit in it where Zeus blows Thor's clothes off. And he's completely naked, um, and even me, and even me, and I'm, you know, I was like, oh my god, he's, his body looks really good right now. But it's definitely like you know, for a young man, seeing these things and wanting that unrealistic superhero body, which without having a personal trainer and having your food pretty much controlled by a nutritionist and doing like uh, water overdose and water fasting, and then probably some CGI as well. You're not gonna, you're not mm. gonna get that body. Well, look at how look at how um, miserable Chris Hemsworth is when he makes those films. He hates it, and he, mm. he goes on. He, he he's very open in, in interviews about the fact that he's never as miserable as when he's filming because of what he has to do, mm. and and what it what it takes to achieve that look, and. Mm. I think I've not really thought about how how we are kind of if if it's like a cycle, it's almost gone into this point of of like um where it used to be very much the male gaze, and mm. women had a set of beauty standards, and you either fit into them or you were almost ostracized. And now we've kind of like gone, well, that's not healthy. Let's do it to men instead. Um, and uh, evidently, obviously, that's going to that's going to have an issue, isn't it? Mm. It's going to become something that even people who are relatively happy with themselves and have a strong sense of self worth and validation are going to be questioning that at some point. Actually, saying this, thinking about even thinking about that, I until the last couple of years. I'd never ever heard of, of any of my male friends or acquaintances or family members going, oh, I'm on a diet. And now it's kind of the, I don't, I don't think I can think of anyone who hasn't. Mm. Um, in Fasting it's been, is very much, yes, it's very much the thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's been yeah. rebranded instead of it being a diet. Totally. It's things like um, like fasting and keto yeah. and um, it's a, it's and a lifestyle. The, yes, yeah. and the use of the use of Huel powders, which are effectively just slim fast. 
Um, yes. And it's rebranding for a masculine audience. Mm. And the um, and then the heel brand is like very much like in a dark, like dark bags, but quite like you know big letters, like yeah, strong masculine letters. Yeah. Design. Yeah. Um, it's, it's awful to to think about, really. You know, especially in terms of teenagers, maybe that that we've taught how you know how much of it must have just been silent suffering because because of this barrier to talking about it mm. you know i mean i i thinking back i can't really think of any boys at the school that i've taught that, that i thought definitely had anything to sort of maybe 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 one i could probably think of a lot of girls but that doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't affecting the boys and it's the same with a lot of mental health stuff like you know a lot of boys mm. just really suffered silently with with anxiety and things like that it's interesting thinking back though one thing that i do remember um <clears throat> sort of i qualified to teach in 2003 and then i worked for 10 or 15 years in um ex-mining communities in yorkshire and lancashire mm. and they were like rugby towns and there was definitely um steroid abuse going on among teenage boys big time yeah in, that, in a really yeah. really harmful way Oh, I'm just gonna have to go on mute for a minute. Bear with me. You that's guys okay. carry on talking. No, that's fine. Yeah, I've definitely, I think, having been in a lot of interesting gyms through my like, you know, my twenties, I've definitely seen the impact of steroid abuse um, on different people, and it is that kind of like seeking that physique that is like that's a superhero physique more than anything. Um, do you think do you think it is um i mean obviously do you think it is getting worse or do you think that people are just more aware of how to do it and how to um like achieve some of those effects and then kind of fall into it i don't know i think maybe a bit of both um it's hard to say i think um i'm as far as i know in my year group, when I was a kid, I was the only kid with an eating disorder, as far as I know, but I may have just been suffering quietly. And I never really, like, discussed it with any of my friends, apart from my friend Bo, who was like, dude, you've lost much weight. Um, although I have discussed it with friends, like, years later. Um, and maybe I'm more aware of it in the kids that I teach. But, I don't know, I do think... We do PSHE, obviously we do PSHE, we've got to do PSHE, but I think, and good PSHE is getting pupils to open up, and it has been pup male pupils being more open but discussing the fact they feel the pressure to have a body that's a certain way. Which... Yeah. I think, um, I think what would be interesting is, is that um, the approach towards eating disorders over the last couple of decades has changed very much in regards to the way that um like the idea of it being being seen as a female disease yeah um it's it's much more open for people to go no actually it, it's not um but i do wonder i do wonder about the um the reasons for it because um over the last couple of decades there has been a lot more discussion about the fact that um on on the whole it's although it does have a relationship to body image um 
exactly a, a lot more to do with control mm. and uh, and the like overlapping of both of those ideas the idea that um somebody can can feel like they're keeping control or holding on to control or reacting to things that are out of their control um or and similarly want to achieve something and and, and be more like other people um i, I think I, I wonder how much of that is is true for especially boys um like teenage boys i wonder if it if it is predominantly peer pressure or the idea of, of body image or is it um or is it that element of control still for me it was both because i was deeply unhappy but it felt good to be losing weight but also felt good to be like in control of like that one aspect of my life that i could be, be like I'm, I'm in control of this um so yeah if, if I can do if I can do this, I can do this. Yes. Um, and if I can control that, then this shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. It's almost like soothing, isn't it? Yeah. So it's that kind of that, that yeah. magic thinking. Oh, you know. Although, as I said, I, I I don't feel like I've ever had a full blown eating disorder. But that, that conceptualization of um, going through puberty and all of the changes that, that it entails and all of the pressure of exams it's just a difficult time generally that you know that that theory that says that an eating disorder gives you control in a world in which you have no control and in which there is so much uncertainty at least you can you know the control creates a sense of safety yes yeah that 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 does i can recognize that that does make sense as a way of thinking about it. I think in a way as well, you can you can see how um, now, nowadays especially, we might a lot of the time um, harm through doing good in the sense that we, we all know that if you're feeling a bit low or if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, that endorphins help. And so do some exercise. Mm. And that that's great up to a point unless that's how you are coping. And if that's all you are doing in order to cope, then the the tendency is, is that you, you can end up falling into this calorie controlling kind of behaviour. Or yeah. equally, it, it could manifest as, as, as binging. Yes. And, yes. You know, another another way of looking at it is, in some cases, can, can food be a stim? Um, oh, looking back as as a teenager, or sort of late teenager, there were certain foods that I loved so much. Like there was this, there was this one um, Swiss roll from Morrison's with like buttercream in, and it was so good. I just, um, yeah, I, it was it was an absolute sensory joy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I ate quite a lot of it. Um, and if you think about it, you know, in terms of texture, that can be a stim as well. Like eating crunchy food can be a stim um so that's that's a whole different part of the picture isn't it you know thinking about the idea of control and then the idea of stimming possibly i think there are definitely some autistic people who've talked about their relationship with food in in that sense yeah yeah um like uh, i've always wondered you know when people say oh, i'm an emotional eater mm. um i've always went well, i'm not um and and i never have been 
it's it's never been a case of oh I'm a bit sad I'm going to have some cake or something like that it's I've never had that sort of relationship but I have when you said that there's times where I might go oh I'm I'm a bit you know I'm fed up I'd really like some crisps and it's not mm. because I want the taste of crisps it's because I really like that Crunch. sensation and it's it's yeah it's just nice um vinegar and, I really like vinegar yeah yeah oh, I love vinegar yeah. Definitely the best flavour of crisps by far. Salt and vinegar. Yeah. Your co-op salt and vinegar was so strong for a while. It was amazing. And mm. they toned it down. Mouth, they did. Yeah, it was great. I love that. And they've toned it down. Discos. Because people... oh, discos, yeah, discos are the king of crisps. Oh, discos, yep. Yeah. Oh, God, Pick, yeah. Pickled onion monster munch. Oh, yeah. My, okay. kids, my kids love them. Mm. Love pickled onion. And space raiders. Pickled onion space yeah. raiders as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Lovely tangy taste. So do we, okay, so do we think, as we kind of got, start going down the kind of autism and food route, do we think that if you're autistic, you are more likely to develop some kind of, let's call it an unhealthy relationship with food? I don't know. I was going to say, I think there are some statistics that suggest that. Mm-hmm. There's probably more research that needs to be done. Yep. I would say that the research needs to be there and it needs to be done with autistic people, not on to, autistic yes, people yes. or to them. Because 100%. I think if you don't ask the right questions, you're not going to get the right answers. And that is especially true with autistic people, because I'd imagine that a lot of the research and from the very limited amounts that I've seen, the um, the questions that are asked are, um, well, you're going to get a very restrictive amount of answers, which are going to be like, do you eat at this time? And it'll be yes. Do you restrict at this time? Yes. Do you eat these things? And really what you should be asking is how do you feel when you do those things how mm. does this make you feel um because if you looked at my pattern of eating you might be able to see um you might be able to see that there is a little bit of a emotional eating in there but i would never register it as it i don't experience it that way it's not it may be that i'm tired and i'm actually i'm going i need to eat this because i need some energy mm. but but that would register as emotional because I'm a bit hangry. Yeah. And this is, go on. Go on, you go. I, I was just going to say, this is where alexithymia comes into it, isn't it? If you're not aware of your feelings, yes. then connecting them with your eating patterns is really hard. Uh, yeah, because I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's sometimes um, that we've got a running joke in, in our house about how I, I, if I'm unhappy, it it will always be i'll just end up saying my feet hurt i'm hungry i'm tired i'm sad and and it'll just go like and it's none of those things are the case it's just that it will be one of them and i can't figure out which one it is mm-hmm. and i think that for a lot of us when you're doing this research it's um it's difficult to remember that or work it out or or mm-hmm. be aware of it or filter out what it is that you're actually trying to learn yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. I, I often don't realize I'm hungry, but I also often don't realize I'm full either. Oh, it takes I me def- so long. Yeah. I definitely get to a point, especially if I'm 
especially if I'm either really busy and too busy to eat or if I'm just really struggling with executive functioning and struggling to do anything um then I won't eat for ages but then it just kind of gets to a very obvious crisis point where I feel like I'm going to pass out and then it's like I must eat now in the next 60 seconds otherwise I might die mm. it kind of goes from one extreme to the other yeah I mean one one other thing that we haven't really touched upon is um if we're talking about instead of eating disorders and thinking about disordered eating mm. um is the effect that of things like medication um like my obviously um if you have adhd one of the first things that you warned about is is the effect that medication will have on your weight um and on your the your eating patterns and it's it's gross to be honest it's horrible um and trying to not only overcome that but then go okay in fact i'm gonna to have to change vastly how i eat so i'm gonna to have to get up at this time and eat this otherwise if i don't eat this this will happen mm. i can't eat this or drink this now because this will happen and that kind of enforced and, and that's the case with any sort of medication really that sort of enforced um uh, like eating pattern is difficult because it, it's really triggering yeah i can and see that I, I can see i can see why um in the end for me it became really easy because i started going all right okay i just have to get up half an hour earlier have a smoothie and i'm fine until later it's no problem um but i, I know that especially for if we're, if we're thinking going back to where we're talking about for kids and when they're not on long acting um medication um, I know that there's a lot of a lot of kids who are diabetic and their their relationship with food and and where did you know and haven't changed how they eat and when they eat. Um, it does. If you don't have a typical relationship with food, whereas you have to use it as fuel, or you have to use it um, in terms of like medication, it enforces this strange relationship where you go well some of it's for enjoyment and some of it's because i need to survive and the reality is somewhere in between yeah i think that that kind of heart eating on like food relationship on a spectrum ha 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 um <laughs> yeah. makes it i think hard for research into being neurologically untypical and having disordered eating because i think maybe for people who are quote unquote normal more normal normal um <laughs> they their eating disorders maybe or this their disorders eating maybe from a different place that makes sense am i saying yes. that properly um yeah. I, I think i think that's where i think that's one of the things i was thinking about most is i think the overlap mm. um when when you neurodivergent the overlap of the things you must do, the things you have to avoid, your aversions, with the fact that you must eat, or it's game over. Mm. It's 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 a very it's when you do have very black and white thinking, it's very difficult to see and to express how nuanced all of that is. Mm. I actually now thinking about it, I actually quite like feeling hungry. 
which because it's a sensation yes because it's a sensation because it's a sensation i can like eventually recognize and it's like ooh, here's a sensation my body has given me i know this one yes um well eventually i know it sometimes i don't realize i'm hungry until it's like until i tune into my body again um but yeah which but but it does force you to tune into your body yeah which is again quite pleasant in the sense of you going oh yeah okay i'm here yep yep um but enjoying that sensation probably isn't the healthiest thing in the world (laughs) no no so um at this point we should probably press the news but tom if you're listening you're not listening uh, i'm sorry um it's not going to work so we're not doing news now tom it's going to keep talking and then when i upload it i will tell you this time and say it's not worked again and it'll be easier for you to edit it so that's my little news bit right there there we go um so how for teachers how best to support students with eating disorders who maybe also be neurologically untypical in whatever way that's that's that is the question isn't it that's the question i mean ran randomly my dad really helped me um because he got to like did my gcse's very very skinny um i was also waking up in the middle of the night like unable to breathe um occasionally and he was just like right mister you're gonna work with me so i'd go and labor with my dad for like the entire summer holidays um which was flipping hard and i'd have breakfast with him i'd have lunch with him which was ham rolls no butter obviously always the same rolls from tesco's or the same ham and then i'd have dinner with my mum and i hadn't figured out what they were doing until a lot later but they clearly had figured out something had gone wrong and they basically just took control of my eating without I'm realizing laughing, it because that's exactly what my mum did all oh, right well there we go um, <laughs> that is exactly exactly what my mum did um and it became um there was all of a sudden and it was so subtle really to be honest that I, I didn't quite notice what was happening at first um but instead of being um sit down meals the the meals were a lot more um they were spaced out so um it, although it was three times a day it was spaced out and it was much more um informal mm-hmm. and it was just a case of oh can you can you not eat until i get in so i've got someone to eat with and I didn't realise what, what was actually happening was it was it was to ensure that um, there was always somebody eating with me and mm. um, that it was everything was eaten at a very slow pace. And I hadn't realised that other people were doing that and were matching my pace and um, that I was being kept busy in between. Um, and it, it, yeah, it was very much of the same pattern. Um, but I don't, I think, I think there's a lot to be said for keeping busy. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know how else, I, within the classroom, I really don't know. I think um, in the past, I've had, um, uh, you said at the beginning about trigger warnings and, you know, not seeing, always seeing the value of them and things like that. Um, in the past, obviously, we've had we've had things where people have went, can you not mention X, Y, Z, because it's triggering. And I've went, well, actually, I, I don't think that that one particularly is, because that's everywhere. 
like for example if you're an English teacher and you you know have an article about obesity obviously what you would do is you'd change it wouldn't you because you yeah. go I don't, I don't want to have this conversation but if it's for example um about a restaurant opening then you wouldn't because it just seems you, you can't just edit out all mentions of food it it's not only is it it's difficult because I think the issue is is that if you had kids which thank god you don't but if you had kids where you know you were going like they were gambling um you don't need to gamble it's an addiction mm. um it's something that can be cut out with help and support you don't need to smoke you don't need to you might feel like it and and of course the addiction is real but these things are things that can be cut out and be cut out completely and ignored and taken away you can't do that with food no not at all and i don't always know if trying to take away all mentions of it is is helpful because it's there always anyway and it's always in your head regardless if you have a if you have a unhealthy relationship with food then you have it regardless of whether you're anywhere near food or not and i i don't know how we if i think keeping busy definitely helps but i don't i don't know if just ignoring it completely is the is the way forward i mean as english teachers we've got an opportunity to maybe spread some awareness or open some dialogue although that's obviously a bit of a minefield it just makes me think because i was recently read the four heartstopper books and the fourth one heartstopper volume four does focus a lot on um, this character charlie's um mental health and um eating you know he, he he has what seems like anorexia and he ends up spending some time as an inpatient um because yeah. of his, his mental health and i think it's dealt with really well because the overall message is his boyfriend Nick like really wants to help him um but he he sort of goes on this learning curve that Nick on his own can't solve anything you know he can sort of signpost things but it's kind of this sort of it takes a village sort of message yes yes it's you know it's about his family it's about his friends it's about his school community and everyone does have a responsibility but it's not it can never just be one person no. Um, so I think it's yeah I think in that particular example I think it is dealt with really well um, you know but you've got I don't to, know you've whether... got to be careful because there might be less there might be much less well portrayed examples that might be quite damaging hmm. so do you, do you remember years ago um, I don't know whether either of you had watched Hollyoaks but there was a character yes. in Hollyoaks yeah. that had a, a they, they tried to deal with um, anorexia as a as a um, as a like you know plotline and they were praised massively massively for the um for the way that it was dealt with in the fact that the character i can't remember her name but the the character it started off partially being around body image but it wasn't really about body image and it was about control and it, it dealt with the idea of fear um really well um and one of the ways they dealt with it though was about the family and how the family reacted to it and the anger and the frustration that they felt towards towards her um and i think maybe that 
is it, the reason why it pops in my head is because I frequently this sounds awful I frequently laugh about one of the scenes because it it was so shocking um to me because it was a case of I can see how this happens but oh my god and I had this one really quite it was a violent scene where one of our family members had held her down and tried to force feed her cream cake mm. um and it sounds ludicrous saying it like that and it was it was it was actually like shocking but humorous at the same time where you go oh my god but i think one of the things that we possibly don't do as well is supporting like you said it can't be one person and, and it takes a village but supporting families and supporting friendship groups to to get them to understand that the person is not doing it to them and mm -hmm. it is a case of they can't just go and eat something and if they do they're not fixed it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work like that it it's like a wave it's changing that mindset isn't it and mm -hmm. i think you know that must be it must be one of the hardest things as a parent to be in that situation of you know obviously desperately wanting to help but feeling powerless yeah um and you know it does it does run the risk of just making the situation worse doesn't it mm. um and i suppose yeah again in terms of mindset you know, it's helping people to understand that again, one person can't fix it, um, and it's not—it's not on them. Obviously, it's on them to support and to be loving and guiding. But yeah, um, tackling that frustration, I guess, is where I'm trying to get at. Yeah, because I mean, it's—you don't. You can't even um, begin to imagine how frustrating it must be as a parent in that sense but you get that you get that fear and 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 i'm just being bitten by a dog i apologize that's okay <laughs> and you get the you get the idea but it's i just i think a lot of the time like if i if i with my friends for example um i am despite the fact i'm really close to to a lot of my friends and and I know their ins and outs and I know their histories. I um, frequently find myself doing things with individuals instead of doing them things as a group. And one of the reasons for that is I know that some of my friends find it difficult going out to eat in public. Mm. Um, and some of my friends find that really comfortable and prefer to do that um, because they, they feel like more at ease when they're eating in a group. Um, and some just can't and it's the most uncomfortable thing in the world and I think having that awareness and even having those chats um, uh, it's really helpful for people who are saying are, are you comfortable with going for food would you prefer to do this because I think in the past there was an awful lot of thing of going well um, I'm organizing this and we are going here and because mm. I don't know whether that was any of your experiences as, as teenagers and as, as like in your 20s but it would be a case of going oh this is what's happening we're going to do this first and then this and that would fill me with anxiety because the idea was well i'd need to know about the i need to know about the menu and i'd need to know about you know where we were sitting and things like that and and now having a much more like knit because we've kind of recalibrated all of our friendship groups and, and it's kind of more now a case of look i'm going to do this with this person do you fancy it if you don't do you want to meet later i think mm. having those sorts of those sorts of like open invites makes it a lot better for people as well 
Yeah. It's funny. We, me and my friends, when we were like in the 20s, ate in basically two places. That was it. <laughs> so you talk about that, but like we had, we kind of naturally gravitated towards either Nando's or an Italian restaurant in Holloway. And that was it. We didn't really do change. So I wonder if that was my fault. Um, <laughs> possibly. Possibly. That if was. it works, it works. It, yeah, it did, you know. Nando's or Michi's. What, what you were describing, Georgia, is, is definitely a positive thing. It's about increased yeah. awareness, isn't it? And increased and it kind of ties in with aspects of you know, aspects of autism like you know now my friends and parents of my daughter's friends you know will, will often say you know we're thinking of doing this but will it be too much will it be too noisy you know let us know how you can how we can support which is really lovely yeah and that's yeah. i think i think encouraging those sorts of conversations for all sorts of things whether or not it's neurodiversity or whether or not it's yeah, exactly. um disordered eating and things like that i think that's really positive it's even though to mine yeah. yeah my neighbor um even this morning um asked me if it was okay if he it, not if it was okay but just saying i'm planning on doing some work in the back um i'm going to be doing this and this and this um will your son be okay um oh, is there any time nice. is is there any time that would be better oh. and just being able to have that conversation so i went no it's absolutely fine but i can warn him and we'll be able to we'll be able to deal with it and he was just like no bother that's fine but even down to that sort of having those conversations with people where you go this this is going to cause a problem and, and thank you for thinking about us mm. Mm. Yeah. i think so yeah, so I think it's that kind of it's that kind of global mindset of just adaptation, isn't it? Or yeah. Awareness, awareness of need. Yeah. It's that difference when when we say about awareness and and things like that. It's that difference between, um, like when it's um autism awareness month. It's it's a case of going. There's plenty of awareness. It's actually, you know, like acceptance. Yes. And, um and change. And I think that's just generally the, the the entire idea with these sorts of things. When any sort of mental health issue, um, like like disordered eating and things like that, is this idea of what does a reasonable adjustment look like to you, mm. and and what is it is is it something that the person actually needs? And the the way that you do that is you ask the question. What do you need? what can I do um, and sometimes you'll get an answer yeah I think I think sometimes in education perhaps we don't say that enough that phrase what do you need to be successful mm, um, absolutely I think yeah I think it's a very important phrase to use yeah um, yeah hmm. yeah no I'm thinking now um so if we were going to, we've got like a few minutes left, just kind of round it up. If we were going to think about top tips to help a young person with an eating disorder, I mean, it's such a complex thing. It almost mm -hmm. seems a bit trite to say top tips, like something heat magazine. <laughs> um, um, my first one would be to, unless you have been explicitly told to, 
don't directly speak to them about it. Yes. They'll have people that they are speaking to about it. And you are not, if you haven't explicitly been told like to talk to them about it, then you're not the one. Um, and you can still support them in other ways by being mindful about the resources that you use. That's one thing. Um, yeah. I don't know about you guys. I think it's just part, I mean, I don't know, part of me is just a bit like, it's so complex. I mean, from a teaching and classroom point of view, it's very difficult to do anything apart from yeah. be realistic um, and be mindful and be aware. And uh, from a kind of pastoral or SEN point of view, it's a there's more things out there. But again, you know, external agencies, totally uploaded. As is, you know, mm. as is a way of things. I think things like um, knowing what the um, knowing what it looks like. Yes. Um, things like um, why it might be important for that child or that student to keep their coat on. Yes. Um, body temperature. Really because important. Because they can't they can't regulate their body temperature. Um, yeah. Knowing that because of their blood sugar levels. Um, there will be quite extreme dips in, in tiredness mm. and in what would look like lethargy, also in um, mood, because you might have the loveliest student in the world who is lovely, but if their hormone levels or blood sugar levels have dipped to the point where they have started snapping at you, they can't help that at that moment. Yeah. And they will feel a deep-rooted sense of shame and... Um, and so possibly calling them out on the behavior is probably not the best thing to do and try to do it in a much more okay kind of way and yeah. much more less judgmental kind of way. Yeah. Um, I think, I think knowing more about the symptoms is definitely the way forward because I, I think what people see when they think about disordered eating, they always assume it's anorexia rather than um, binge eating or other things like that. Mm. Um, and they assume that it is dealt with on the basis of eating and then that's it and it isn't it's the lack of concentration it's the inability to regulate um, body temperature it's the, um, the the way that the body changes and the relationship with it um, the tiredness the mood swings um, the secrecy yeah. And the, the, the distrust that comes from thinking that everyone is watching or trying to monitor you. And I think all of those things need to be taken into account. Yeah, definitely. It's just that I, a phrase I use an awful, I'm, I'm using a lot now is the idea that of a, a child being held in a classroom, not held as in like hell, but be, being feeling like they are part of what's going on in that classroom or they are part of what's going on in that school, that, that community the idea that they are part of that village. They are held within that village. And it's that, unless you know that awareness of what's going on for them and all those kind of aspects around it. And that's kind of how you, you know, quote unquote, fix, fix it. That feeling yeah. of like, you know, cause anorexia or eating disorders, but a lot of them are about that sense of control like the child need into feeling control. So to combat it, maybe the wrong word, but 
to support it is that giving them a sense that they don't need to be in control because there are other things there to hold them to keep them safe yeah um or to reframe the control in other places and allow them yes. to have control in safe areas yeah yeah. Like to relinquish it and relinquish it, and to know that they're safe enough to allow other things to happen, and then to offer control in other areas, mm. like like autonomy. Yes. Yeah, it's about about recognizing that there's a need. I mean, this this applies to so much of autism generally. Recognizing that it's a need, and if it if that need is being met in a harmful way, trying to meet it in a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Um, I think that's a really good place to end it now, actually. I found this one. Yeah. I found, yeah. I really appreciated this conversation. Um, just from a kind of like my perspective upon my life kind of bit. And just, you know, but also in terms of thinking about like what the support for young people could look like um, in a class, you know, in a kind of school situation. Um, but yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, thank you. That was okay. I'm now going to press the play button and hopefully the outro will start. Hopefully, fingers crossed. And then um, I will upload. But thank you again. Thank you so much. Let's go press it now. Oh, yeah. oh, there we go. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Is that it? Oh, no. Oops. Sugar. Right. Thank you all for listening. Bye-bye.